we are hearing this rustling and we don't know what to do about it. And so we're caught in this heightened state where our nervous system is like activated for action, but we don't have any action we can take. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle, the podcast on personal growth and lifestyle design. My name's Eileen, and I'm here to guide you to become a master artist of life. Every Sunday, you'll get new insight and inspiration on how to create your dream life. After the episode, the conversation continues in our Lavender Lifestyle Facebook group, so I can't wait to see you there. Life is an art. Make it your masterpiece. everyone. Welcome back to The Lavender Lifestyle. It's Eileen. Today's episode is about mental health with Katie Morton. Katie Morton holds a master's in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University and is a licensed marriage and family therapist. In addition, she is a certified dialectical and behavior therapist and grief counselor. Over the past seven years, Katie has leveraged social media to share mental health information worldwide through video. Her online community has expanded to all major internet platforms, allowing her to answer mental health questions from her followers around the world. She hopes by doing this, the global community can push for better services worldwide and remove the stigma associated with getting help. Hi, Katie. Welcome to The Lavender Lifestyle. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So I wanted to jump in and talk about I guess the current situation that we're going through right now, because we're recording this Mm -hmm. about a month before the episode comes out. We're currently going through the coronavirus pandemic. And I do think that this will, is like, it's not going to be over anytime soon. So it's still relevant to bring it up. Yeah, agreed. And I mean, it's unfortunate that that is the truth, but I really think the more we've heard about it, the more we realize that we're going to be at home for longer than we anticipated. (laughs) Definitely. So I personally, I feel that it, I think it's impacting everyone's mental health right now, whether it's like the fear and anxiety or just feeling unmotivated or unproductive, all of that. So do you want to talk about what do you think are the root things going on because of the pandemic and how can we deal with it? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously there's the health concerns and all of that and how to to stay safe, stay healthy, but I'm not a, a mm-hmm. physician. So I just, like everybody else, I just listen to the doctors on TV and do what they tell us. Oh, yeah. um, but when it comes to our mental health and taking care of that, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, even if we didn't struggle with depression or anxiety or any symptoms of those, we're all experiencing some of them now. Just because everything feels mm-hmm. so unknown, scary. Um, yeah. And I kind of I get kind of frustrated with the news, just the language they use because they're trying to get people to stay and listen and watch, but it's really kind of fear mongering. You know, I don't really need them Mm -hmm. using terms, you know, like one more person has passed away in what enter, you know, city or country or whatever. The new death count, like that's not helpful information for me. And so I think a lot of us are experiencing what in the mental health space we call the stress response which is like fight, flight, freeze. Mm-hmm. And we think of that, I mean, it's easy to talk about it when it's like, if we were a caveman and there was a bear in the bushes, you know, we'd hear it and either decide that we couldn't get away so we had to fight it or we'd run. That's it. Those are options. Um, yeah. But because the thing that we're, we fear is like this invisible virus and we, I mean, I, even just a week ago, there's so much less that we knew about it, right? It's like we're new, learning new things each and every day about it because it's so unknown there's no way for me to technically run away or fight it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the unknown and the uncertainty. Like you have no control it, over exactly. that. That's, and that's what's scary. 
100%. And that's what keeps us in that stress response for way longer because the stress response is supposed to be short-lived, right? We hear a rustle in the bushes, we run away. But this is like, we are hearing this rustling and we don't know what to do about it. And so we're caught in this heightened state where our nervous system is like activated for action, but we don't have any action we can take. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's really, I mean, I know that that is what's going on and not to mention that the antidote to the feelings of isolation and the struggles with that, that heightened sense, like the best way to calm our system down, I guess is how I should say it, is social connection. Oh, and yeah. so it's like, and we're, we're being deprived of that in exactly. a way. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So it's, it's really tough. And I think that's why everybody's feeling so irritable, agitated, and just not yourself. And I'm no different. Yeah. You know? Right. I, I think everybody is experiencing it because we're, we're going through it together. So what have you been doing personally to, I guess, work on your mental health? Yeah, the number one thing that I've been doing, because I'm definitely more of a warrior in general, <laughs> like I'm more <laughs> of an anxious type person. So nighttime, it's so funny. It's like as soon as it gets dark outside, uh, like my anxiety starts to build. And so I've been doing thought stopping mm -hmm. techniques, which sound really simple, but they can be kind of difficult. So be, you know, be patient as you try it out. It's like a new muscle. But when my brain wants to go into like, worry thoughts like oh my god I hope my mom's okay and like I didn't talk to my grandma today I hope she didn't leave the house and like what if we brought it in with the groceries I mean you know all these things you think about and worry about once I find yeah. my brain doing that I tell myself I'm like nope stop and then I, I'm like Rem remember that time that you and Sean my husband went to uh, Amsterdam how cool that was and I start to tell myself memories in as much detail mm. as possible and it distracts my like mind positive memories mm -hmm. Oh. And it's important that they're, they have emotion attached to them, which most memories do, but pick one that felt like, I don't know, maybe the, the first big trip you took or that somebody surprised you with something or, you know, something mm -hmm. that you can really tangibly like, oh, it gives you like a good feeling. Um, yeah. Because that will, that's easier for your brain to, to like cling to and it will stop those worry thoughts. And so it just pulls us out of it. And that's probably yeah. the number one thing I've been doing. Also, I've been trying to do some kind of workout every day. I don't worry so much about like, oh, I got to get fit. It's more like I need that, that like movement and my body, mm -hmm. you know, otherwise I feel like the energy that I have inside that fight, flight, freeze response doesn't have any way to get it out. And that's one of the ways you can like get it out, you know? Yeah. And um, also finally is like doing what I can like we can feel frozen, like there's no action we can take, which is a really icky feeling. But so I've just been taking action where I can. Like I've been, cl I cleaned all the door handles with Clorox wipes, you know, and I, I made sure, planned out mm. some meals and ordered some groceries. So I knew that we had food for the week and there are certain things that we can do. Um, and so, you know, taking act, yeah. checking in on people, if you are worried about them, that can help assuage that worry. Yeah. Anything that you can do because there's so much that we can't do. Um, that we have to just focus our energy on the good stuff, you know, mm -hmm. the things that we can make change with. Yeah, that's what I say too. Like focus on what you can control and that's your actions that you're taking. Another thing that a lot of people are dealing with is they know that there are so many things that they can do to be productive, like cleaning, organizing or whatever, but they just don't have the motivation to do it. And I know that's a sign of like mild, I don't know if you would call it mild depression, but do you know what I mean? So what do you do if you're in that case? I think, yeah, there's a lot going on and it could be mild depression. It's also, we're just in a crisis. I think we're all feeling that. 
And um, I was even just working on a video before we started recording. And one of the things I was just saying was like, I know people are talking about learning a new language, finally writing that book, you know, doing all these things. And I'm like, it's completely okay if all you can do is get up today, feed yourself and shower. Like, exactly. We're kind of maxed out. And I think the, the best thing that we can do is show ourselves a little compassion. This isn't anything we can, we don't have an experience to draw from, right? We've never been through something mm. like this. It's, it's very yeah. unknown. We can't, I mean, I can call my mom, but she doesn't know any better than I do. She's never been through this either. And so I think mm-hmm. being kind to yourself and making time to check in with people, connecting with people through Zoom or FaceTime or whatever you can, even a chat. If you have like a group that you're part of on Facebook and you want to connect that way, I really think that connection is what will help. And setting some small goals every day, yeah. not big things, but like I'm going to eat three meals. I'm going to move my body. And then I'm going to check my email once, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like set the small goals and then like feel proud that you did them and don't feel obligated to do more. Exactly. If you don't feel like it. Yeah. Cause it's just weird. Yeah. We're not ourselves. Like everybody's saying like, Oh, we're working from home. I'm like, we're not really working from home. We're stuck at home during a crisis and we feel very stressed yeah. about that. So true. And I don't, for me personally, because social media is my job, I found that being on social media too long, I'm seeing other people create content and mm-hmm. all this stuff because more people are spending time online. But at the same time, I feel this on one hand, it's a little bit of guilt that I'm not working harder. But on another hand, it makes me feel worse because I'm like, wow, look at all these people being more productive when I don't feel like being as productive. Yeah, same. Right? Same, because people are like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm starting a TikTok. I know I'm going to live stream every day. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's like, it's great that people want to do that. Like, there's nothing wrong about it. But it's sometimes if it's if it makes you feel bad, just just get off social media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, because it's, it's that comparison factor. And right now, mm-hmm. none of us are in a good headspace. And yeah. not to like pretend I know what other people are thinking, but even the people who are being super productive – the therapist part of me is like, I think they're just ignoring how they feel right now, uh, you know, because yeah. it, it is a yeah. lot. There's no way that we can be in this situation and not feel Be totally scared. fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 So let's talk about what do you define as mentally healthy then? Because we know that there's a lot of, like everybody has some sort of issues, but is there like a true mentally healthy person? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, it's kind of tricky to talk about it like in like what it would look like because everybody's different. But Mm -hmm. the way that I like to talk about mental health versus mental illness is the same way we talk about physical health versus physical illness. So we all have a mental health that needs tending to. And if we're able to, you know, manage the upsets and unsureness of life every day and still feel okay and be able to use our uh, resources and our support systems to get through it and feel overall good, that's a mentally healthy person. However, let's say we have symptoms just like we would like in physical health, if we started having a runny nose, we started coughing, we had a fever, those are all symptoms of illness, right? Mm -hmm. And in mental health, those symptoms are things like, I don't enjoy what I used to enjoy. I'm struggling to do all that I need to do in the, like the DSM, which is our diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. They, they always have this phrase where they say it's impairing the patient's ability to function. Mm, And that can be like work, in school, you know, social life, uh, per, you know, any kind of thing like basic hygiene. There's all these ways that we function every day. And mm-hmm. if, if the 
mental anguish or upset or whatever you're experiencing is making that difficult for you to do, then, then it's a mental illness. And so I think that's Mm. kind of the distinction is all of us have a mental health and it can be not perfect. Like right now I'm probably not in the best physical condition that a human can be in, but I'm fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so mental health kind of the same. I could be going through like right now it's super stressful. Do I think I necessarily have a mental illness? No. But if this persists Mm. and it gets worse and I can't do what I need to do once this crisis has lifted, then it might be worth talking to someone, seeing someone. Right. Would you say that mental illness means that you're in a mind space where you can't really control your thoughts or you can't take yourself out of that negative space? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, It can be like I always talk about on my channels, like when you need help, it can be when you're drowning in the symptoms. You know, you, you don't, you're not able to do it on your own. I get asked all the time, like, can you get better without any help? And the answer is yes, but it's much harder. It'd be like if you went to the doctor right away when you first had a cold, they could probably give you something and you'd be better in like three, four days. Mm-hmm. But if you just let your body kind of work it out, it could take two weeks. Right. Yeah, that was what I wanted to bring up because I my channel is about self-help, you know, doing exercises, mm-hmm. journaling, whatever. But there, there is self-help and then there's therapy. So at what point should people consider getting professional help? I mean, I think we all can benefit from professional help. I've been in and out mm-hmm. of therapy since I was 15. So I don't really think that it's like, oh, you have to be really bad to get help. But there is a point where I really think it's necessary. And mm-hmm. I think that self-help is always great. Instead of considering it like one or the other, it's like, can I do self-help or do I need to add in professional help? And I think that because when Mm -hmm. we're in therapy, um, for anybody who's been in therapy, you know this, your therapist is going to have you do work at home. So kind of like the self-help things you're already doing, you're going to have to continue to do those. And so I really feel that kind of back to that impairment of functioning, if we aren't able to do things and no matter, like I hear from a lot of my viewers all the time that they're trying to do the self-help things, but they're not even able to do that. It's so difficult. Yeah, Um, That's when you really need professional help because again, it's kind of like, It's not either or, it's and, you know, and if we can't do that Mm -hmm. one, we're going to need help so that we can get to a place where we can interact in the self-help realm and do things for ourselves. Yeah. So in therapy, what would be the first things that you would do with like someone who came to see you to help them function better in the world? I think the first thing is just letting them teach me about their experience. I know that sounds really weird, but I I work a lot with my patients um, using what I call like a treatment plan. And I think all therapy should include something like this, but I recognize that not all therapists talk about it in the way that I do. But I want to talk with them about what they're experiencing now. Like, uh, for instance, let's say I was just talking to myself about this situation and how I'm stressed out about uh, COVID-19. I'd say, you know, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm not sleeping as well as I used to. I don't feel motivated during the day. And so as the therapist, I'd write down all the symptoms that they're experiencing And then I'd be like, so what is the goal in this? So you came in, you know, because of this, what are we hoping to get out of it? And that would be like the long-term goal. And then we work backwards with smaller goals. And so it kind of depends on the person, but it's really just helping them achieve the goal and helping guide with tools, techniques, resources. And even if things, let's say I'm offering lots of self-help tools, like you said, like journaling, um, and they're just not able to do those things. And they keep coming back to me saying, I just can't even do that the thoughts are too overwhelming, that's when I might refer them to a psychiatrist for potential medication or or a higher level of care, like seeing me more than once a week or something like that. Okay, what's the difference between therapist, 
psychiatrist, psychologist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very important. I, I don't even know the difference. <laughs> no, it's very confusing. And we use, it's like every type of career path. We use a lot of different names and acronyms to describe things. So mm-hmm. a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. And I'll kind of start with them and move my way down because they're the okay. most educated. They can prescribe medication. They went to medical school. They're mm-hmm. not, they don't have their doctorate, like a PhD. They're an MD. Okay. And no one else in the mental health realm, at least in the state of California, and I believe all of the United States can prescribe medication without that MD. I know there's some things like psych nurses and things that we can in different states, but by and large, psychiatrists is who you have to see to get, you know, treatment for a mental health condition and get medication. Then down below that is like a, a psychologist and a psychologist has their PhD and they They usually, well, they went to four years of uh, graduate school, whereas I only went to two years of graduate school. So there's a little bit more schooling. Essentially, in in session, they do the same things as a therapist would do, um, but oftentimes they can do more research and they are trained in other testing and assessment and things. So let's say you had a child, you wonder if they had ADHD, most likely you'd be referred to a psychologist. Not always, but most of the time. Uh, And then there's a lot of terms. So then a therapist, social worker, and counselor. Mm -hmm. Therapist and social worker work pretty much the same, except except social workers, by and large, tend to go out into the field and meet people at their homes, make sure they have all the resources they need, meaning like funding or um, uh, transportation to appointments and things like that. A therapist works more on relationships. Like I'm a a licensed marriage and family therapist and we work a lot on the relationship we have with people and the relationship we have with ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And then a counselor, they can do most of the same things. I know in a lot of states they cannot diagnose and they can't treat for certain things. but, But if you're just wanting some talk therapy and some support, a counselor can help with that. Yeah, I know that's a lot, but yeah, that's kind of a I rough see. breakdown. No, I it makes sense. And then even on the self-help side, there's a lot of coaches. And I think that mm-hmm. it, it mixes in with this realm. There's so much gray area and blend. Yes. And coaches um, can be licensed or accredited, mm-hmm. but not all yeah. are. And I think it's important to make sure you find someone who's actually done the, you know, taken the classes right. and gotten their accreditation or license or whatever. So you said the psychiatrist is the one that prescribes mm-hmm. the medications, but do they do the same exercises and practices as what you would do as a therapist? Not, maybe sometimes, but not as much anymore. Unfortunately, with the changes mm-hmm. to our healthcare system and when kind of even previous to Obamacare, but even worse so when Obamacare was put into place, less and less amount of time with psychiatrists is covered by insurance. And so in order for them to maximize Mm -hmm. their profits to make a living and also see, you know, help as many patients, they tend to see people for what's called med management now, which is like 15 minute sessions. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I was kind of thinking when you tell me that they're the only doctors that can prescribe these like antidepressants and medications. It makes me feel like once you bring those drugs into the Mm -hmm. like into the picture, then it could be about money and it could be a little bit skewed. Right. They might just automatically prescribe them pills where this person could have been helped in other ways. And that's what, like, I don't know. I, fa- I feel some type of way about uh-huh. that. What yeah, is your I don't, opinion? I don't like it either. I mean, I, I've told my um, audience for many years, like, just getting medication and no therapy is not going to help you. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, it can mask the symptoms, but then you're dependent upon that medication to do what you could potentially do on your own. And we yeah. know through uh, decades and decades of research that the best results 
come out of therapy combined with medication. Yeah. And I think that just keeping that in mind, because the goal of therapy, and I mean, I'm, I'm not an ad, I'm not against medication at all. I don't want anybody to think that I'm against it. I think it serves a purpose and it's there for a reason. And it's very helpful to many of my patients and viewers. However, it's not the only remedy. And so the goal of therapy, what I try to work towards is not being necessary anymore, which I know seems crazy. People are like that, that would put you out of business, but I'm in the business of making people better and well, yeah. they shouldn't That's be depending good. on me. Yeah, exactly. So I think I want to help stress that you want to, like, I think you should try therapy first and do all the things that you can do. Try it all before you resort mm-hmm. to medication and that sort of thing. Yes. Agreed. Because you'd be surprised how strong we are and like how much we can do. Yeah. Because once you get on meds, I feel like it takes away a little bit of power. Like you're dependent on something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can be. It can definitely, it can make us, like I have a lot of patients too that worry like, well, can I survive without it? Like I I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and and sometimes we can't. And I don't want anybody to think that it's it's not okay to be on medication because I have some patients who as soon as they go off their medication, their anxiety goes through the roof and they're not able to do any of the things that we were doing anymore. Mm. Um, and, and that's okay. Yeah. But I do think it is worth trying on your own so that you know what you're able to do. And a lot of that can just be so that we can mm-hmm. also tell and track how well the medication is helping because having a therapist on board yeah. and having homework really gives us an insight into how well we're doing and can tell us whether or not maybe your therapist has to call your psychiatrist and say, you know, the symptoms are, are worse. So maybe we need a higher dose, you know, leaving that up, mm-hmm. obviously up to the doctor or lowering it or vice versa. You know, we need both really. Hi love. Are you tired of feeling lost in life? Frustrated at feeling so stuck? You deserve a life full of purpose. No more putting off your dreams. No more fear holding you back. You can design your ideal life and turn it into a reality starting today. To guide your journey, I made the Create Your Dream Life online course, a six-week program with videos and exercises to help you break free from limiting mindsets, take meaningful action on your dreams, and start truly living your life. It took me eight years of messy mistakes, trial and error, and DIY exercises to finally create the life I live today where so many of my dreams have become a reality. This course is my eight years of experience distilled into a step-by-step program designed to help you figure out how to create a meaningful and fulfilling life. To get started, go to lavendaire.com slash dream life to enroll today. You want to enroll soon because I'm doing a live Q&A at the end of May in our Create Your Dream Life Facebook community. So again, the link to join is lavendaire.com dot com slash dream life. So I want to talk about some other issues. I we have some audience questions from our Facebook and Instagram, so I'm going to jump into those. Okay. One question is about eating disorders from Claire. Mm-hmm. She says, "I used to have obsessive thoughts about food and my weight. How can I go back to having a regular exercise routine and balanced diet while ab- avoiding these obsessive thoughts?" I think, uh, I mean, that's my specialty, eating disorders. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I could talk about this at length. Because the... I know, please. Because <laughs> eating disorders exist for a reason. I think a lot of people go through these times in their life where they're like, oh, I don't have it anymore, all of a sudden. I've had that happen with many patients. Like, they got pregnant, for instance. I had mm-hmm. a patient who had an eating disorder for like 10 years, and then she got pregnant and stopped. But then as soon as the baby was born, we had to, we were back at it. And so I think for a lot of people, when they're mm-hmm. like, I don't know how I got over it, but I don't have it anymore. 
it's still lingering. And I don't mean that to be like ominous, like, oh, this is terrible. But yeah. Well, first, can you define what is an eating disorder? Yes, there are there are a bunch of different diagnosable eating disorders. The most common are binge eating disorder, meaning that we eat more than a quote unquote normal eater would in a shorter period of time. So we're binging more amounts of food in a shorter period of time. And we don't do any compensatory behavior, meaning we don't try to make up for it with working out, purging, over-exercising, laxative abuse, any of those things. Um, mm -hmm. Then there's uh, anorexia nervosa, where we are you know, less than an ideal body weight. We always think that we're heavier, even though we're not. We're obsessed with you know, how we look, and we essentially are under-eating. And then uh, bulimia nervosa then is the other um, one that I'll talk about that's like when we binge and purge. So when I talked about how we would eat more than a normal amount in a short period of time, then with bulimia nervosa, we would also have compensatory behavior. So we would overexercise, we would purge, we would abuse laxatives. And without getting in too much of the weeds, because there's like mm -hmm. anorexia purge type, there's all sorts of different things, but those are like the top three. And then if a lot of people will have some symptoms of, of them, and that would fall into what's now called OSFED, which is essentially like a catch-all. It's otherwise not otherwise specified feeding or eating disorder, I think is what it is. It used to be called EDNOS, mm -hmm. which is much easier. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> it's, it's like the catch-all for anything that doesn't quite meet those other criteria. And in order, a lot of people are like, well, what if, how do I know if I have an eating disorder? If you spend more than, I'd say, 70% of your brain space thinking about food in some way or another, any relation to like, I got to exercise, I got to earn that food. That's a food thought. Planning meals. And if you're spending that much time, yeah, that's yeah. an eating disorder. And they're really just coping skills. I think that's the misunderstanding. A lot of people are like, oh, it's... Coping for what? It, like for anything from, like, let's say I was abused as a child and I've never processed it. A lot of times when we have things in our outside of us, because we can't control anything but ourselves, right? And when we're kids, we learn yeah. that, right? Like, oh, I wish that my, let's say my mom wouldn't hit me or something. And I've done everything I can. I'm trying to be the perfect kid and I don't get into any trouble and I get straight A's and I still get hit. I can't control, like, then I'm like, oh, I guess I can't do anything. So what do I do? What do I control? I control my body. So maybe I mm, try to yeah. undereat or overeat as a way to, to just cope with that feeling of lack of control, of trauma, yeah. Of upset. Uh. yeah. And then it can be all sorts of other things. Like I had a patient years ago who was abused um, sexually as a child and the abuser had said how she was uh, so cute because she was skinny. And so she started to overeat so that she didn't look that way. Um, yeah. That's yeah. So, so it's just a way to cope with something else. It's a way to numb out from how we really feel something else that's going on. And so kind of to get back to Claire's question, the, about how do we healthfully eat and exercise? I really think when we're in these new stages of recovery, I'm not sure, you know, if she got treatment or what her path has been, but I think when we're in recovery, it's really important to work with professionals and I know not everybody has access, but if you can at least afford like one session with a nutritionist, they usually only want to see you once a month. They'll set up a, a meal plan for you and, and really getting a therapist on board because until we heal that, the reason for the eating disorder, the, the reason that we need to cope, 
it'll still hang around. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you need someone to help you dig deep because it's, it's yeah. something you're not even aware of most of the time. Yes. 100%. I even had a patient probably three years ago now. She couldn't figure out why she had an eating disorder. She would, we would talk about it all the time. And she said, my family's so happy. And like her parents were happily married. There was no abuse there. She hadn't had any like traumas in her life. Um, but it, you know, she had a raging eating disorder and we went through like how, so if anybody ever says that my next step as a therapist is always to ask about, uh, meal times at home. And it okay. turned out that one of her parents, when they would come home from work, they would always want to have brownies and they wouldn't, no one else could eat those. They'd have to sit down with this parent and watch them eat the brownies and no one else could eat those. Those were for, for that person only. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of this mm. strange behavior around like earning desserts, earning mm-hmm. um, extra food, um, not being able to eat it. This was extra good food and that person did more that day. So they got to have that. There's a lot of strange like. Mm. Uh, so that's like, a, that's problematic to, yes. to make it like that. Okay. Yeah. You should be able to eat. And I call it like my goal is always intuitive eating. One of my favorite workbooks for anybody who's, you know, trying to get healthy, like not necessarily healthier. I don't really like that word, but. Um, have a a healthier relationship with food is the intuitive eating workbook. And it's, if you just look it up, it's on Amazon. I like all, they have all these different, uh, I don't even know like how many now, maybe five different versions, but they're all great. I've, I don't think anyone's better than the other. You can buy the old one if it's cheaper. Um, but they talk about eating when you're hungry, stopping when you're full and getting better in touch with your body because there's no good food. There's no bad food. It's all food. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, the diet mentality is <laughs> mm-hmm. like what is what ruins us, right? As soon as I'm like, oh, Katie, you can never have French fries. All I want is French fries. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I I also want you to explain like if someone were to want to find a nutritionist or to find a therapist, do you have tips on where to even start looking? Yeah, I mean, if you're in a if you're fortunate enough to live in a a, a city center of some sort where there's a lot of options, the the best way truthfully is if you have friends if they're seeing someone ask them who they're seeing and and Mm -hmm. reach out to that person word of mouth is best because unfortunately there's a lot of you know it's like like any job there's people that are good at it and there's people that are bad at it exactly (laughs) it's so subjective it's hard even looking at yelp reviews like you don't know who to go to no and i always tell people (laughs) just because cost is usually the the biggest deterrent from seeing a therapist is go through your insurance get the list and then go online. Most mm-hmm. therapists now have a website of some sort. They probably wrote all of that stuff themselves, most likely. So reading through any of the, like, who they are, uh, about them, like their training, read that, get a sense for them. They usually have a picture. If they, they seem pretty nice and it feels okay, make an appointment. And know that if, if you don't yeah. feel, it's always uncomfortable. So I don't even want to say like you have to feel comfortable, but you have to feel okay being there. Like, oh, they seem kind. They listen to me. I feel like they get me. I could probably come back. Then you make another appointment. But don't feel like you have to make another appointment. Mm, Yeah. You know, if something rubs you the wrong way. Like I saw a guy once and I was like, I can't see a man therapist personally. Mm -hmm. Um, And immediately I knew that. And I was like, I'm not going to come back. (laughs) This isn't (laughs) going to work for me. And that's okay. Yeah, everyone's different. Yeah, it's not the time to be like PC or worry okay. about that. It's it's okay to be selfish. This is the one 
person that you're supposed to right. go to and, and talk about all the secret things. Yeah, like you should be picky about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's okay to because I have a very specific type of person that I like and as like in a therapist, I mm-hmm. need them to be older than me, not super old, but like at least 50. And I want them to be kind of hippy dippy. I don't know mm-hmm. why. Yeah, I feel more comfortable and I like a woman. So yeah. that that's what I'm looking for. And it's okay to have your own, you know, specific version of that. Yeah. And I love that you like therapists have therapists too. <laughs> yes, they should. I mean, yeah. the amount of stuff that we're supposed to deal with every day not to mention, I feel like it's really important as a therapist to know what it's like to be on the other end. Mm-hmm. How can I tell you what to do or how to or offer some sage advice if I haven't worked on myself? I love you that. You know, it just feels yeah. wrong. No, totally. It's like the student is the teacher. The teacher is the student. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. And I feel like if I'm not taking care of my stuff, then it's going to be brought into therapy with my patients. And that's not right. Yeah, or you like carry your patients' issues with you in your life, which I'm sure is, if you're a sensitive or empathic person, is kind of easy to do. Oh, 100%. Boundaries are really important and difficult Mm -hmm. to keep sometimes. And so it is really important. Like I not only see my own therapist, but then I have this group I meet up with every month to talk about certain difficult cases. It's it's kind of uh, peer supervision. Like a group of therapists? Yeah, other psychiatrists, therapists, um, doctors. We... Yeah, meet up once a month and that's really helpful as well because sometimes they'll, they keep us in check, you know, like sometimes mm-hmm. they'll say like, did you think about this? And I'm like, oh my God, I just totally missed that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a therapist, I feel like it's important for us to constantly be striving to be better for ourselves, yeah. for our patients. I love that. All right, Katie, I'm going to wrap up with our rapid fire questions that I ask all of our guests at the end of the show. (laughs) This one's about you. Okay. So what does your dream life look like? Um, I, I'm already kind of living it. I'd love to own a home and have two dogs, but other than that, everything is good. I like, you love what you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. (laughs) And I love it. And hopefully I can leave my house soon. That's another dream. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of go to the beach, right? Yes, we, we could actually, I don't even know anymore because I think they shut them down because people weren't oh. um, keeping distance. I see. So bummer, but yeah. we'll be back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is one book or resource that you recommend to everybody? Ooh. I mean, it's so dependent on people. I, I mean, not to, I don't even like to say this, but I wrote a book that came out um, last December, not this last, a year, of, like in 2018. And I think if you're interested in mental health mm-hmm. and you're worried about how to get help and what kind of help... It's a great place to start. And I also love anything Brené Brown writes. Yeah. So your book is Are You Okay, right? Yes. Are You Okay? <laughs> a Guide to Caring for Your Mental Health. Sorry, I'm not very good at <laughs> no, selling it's... my own merch. <laughs> I was like, I was waiting for you to sell it. I was like, oh, I'll bring it up. But everybody <laughs> check out Katie's book. I'll link it in the show notes as well as everything else we talked about today. What is one habit that has changed your life? Yoga. Mm. And not even yoga for a workout. Stretching, I guess, is what I would call it. I stretch in the morning and I stretch in the evening and it makes me feel so much better. Yeah, I love that too. What is the best life or career advice that you've ever gotten? Do something that's fulfilling. I think too many people focus on what a job looks like to others or how much money you make. And yes, we have to pay our bills, but we know through research that once you're able to pay your bills, having more money doesn't make you happier. So doing something that's fulfilling in those dark moments when life is hard, it gives you so yeah. much joy. I really, I mean, I've had some other jobs over the years trying to 
make ends meet while I was gaining my hours. And once I could do what I knew I really wanted to do, I've been so much happier. Yeah, I totally agree. The last one is finish the sentence. The most amazing part about life is relationships. Mm-hmm. I just think people, I don't know, connecting with other people is really what soothes me, makes me feel good. And um, it's also a great way to learn about life. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I really value my friendships and relationships. Yeah. You learn through people. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Katie, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me, I have a YouTube channel, just Katie Morton, K-A-T-I-M-O-R-T-O-N. And that's Katie Morton across all socials. And even recently I launched a podcast um, called Ask Katie Anything. And it, it, you can find it where podcasts can be listened to. And it has its own channel um, called Opinions That Don't Matter because it's where all my husband and I's podcast is as well. <laughs> Cute. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. I loved everything that you shared. And thank you for doing your work. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Hope you enjoyed learning all about mental health and therapy from Katie Morton. Now I want to wrap up with some key takeaways from our talk. So the first takeaway is Katie's thought-stopping technique. Once you notice a fear-based thought, like a thought of you worrying about something that is out of your control, tell yourself to stop. You have to be aware of your thoughts to be able to catch yourself because sometimes we think these thoughts without realizing it. But once you do realize it, Tell yourself to stop and then switch to thinking about a positive memory that you've had in the past. Try to choose a memory that elicits positive emotions. Maybe it's one about a funny time that you shared with a loved one where you were laughing till your stomach hurt. Memories like that can help you take your mind off of the unnecessary worry. The next takeaway is that when we feel fear, anxiety, worry, negative emotions like that, we are eliciting the stress response in our body, which is the fight, flight, freeze response. And what will help is to just physically move your body, get some exercise to help release that energy because that fight or flight response is preparing your body to either fight or run away. And if you don't physically move, that pent up energy just gets stuck. And it's so helpful to exercise, not just for your physical health, but for your mental health. It really helps helps clear your mind and ease all of that stuff going on. The last takeaway is that anyone can benefit from therapy. There's nothing wrong with getting therapy. It really can just add to your life. It can add value to anyone's life, no matter where you are in your mental health journey. And we did talk about the differences between mental health and mental illness. And mental illness is when you are unable to perform certain functions in life. Like you really need someone to help guide you through. But even if you are relatively mentally healthy, having a therapist can help guide Guide you and help you become aware of traumas and issues that you weren't aware of just because they're giving you that outside perspective from another person's point of view. All right, that's it for today. Sending you all so much love and I will talk to you next week. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Lavender Lifestyle. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a review on iTunes. Lastly, you can catch me on YouTube and Instagram at Lavender, where I have even more content for the artist of life. Sending you so much love. Bye.